Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. We are blessed to have you join us today as we begin a new series that is very relevant to the time that we are living in, and it's going to be about the last days. We're going to study what the Bible has to say concerning the last days. Amen. Now, 2,000 years ago, well, before we do that, we need to pray, don't we? Glory to God. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this day through our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who's the door, that through him we can come and have access to you at your throne of grace and of mercy. And Father, we thank you this day for the opportunity to study your word. Your word which gives us peace, gives us comfort, that gives us wisdom, that gives us guidance. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us through the scriptures, that we may have boldness and confidence to face the adversity that is coming to us in these last days. Lord, we lift up your word to you in remembrance of what you have done for us, knowing that what lays ahead for us is already described in your word, including the victory. For you overcame the devil, you defeated death, and you, have given us the victory that overcomes the world through faith in your name. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Join me in our confession of faith as we lay the foundation for this Bible study today. We, we, it's commonly referred to as the Apostles' Creed. We use it as our statement of faith so that we have this foundation upon which we can build. Amen. So just repeat these words after me. Let them ponder in your heart. Let your own two ears hear your own voice. And let these words go down into your heart and rejuvenate your spirit, strengthening it for what we are about to study. Amen. Repeat these words after me. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty for where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Shout amen, somebody. The victory has been won. Hallelujah. Today we're going to look at a biblical description of the last days. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Father, we lift your word to you, and as we go through these scriptures now, May your Holy Spirit lead and guide us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. These are not easy scriptures to read. I mean, it'd be really easy to say, yep, that's what's happening, but it doesn't concern me. No, it does concern you. And we're going to study that in this series. You know, nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle John penned the following prayer when Jesus promised to return quickly. In Revelation 22:20, 20, he said, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. John thought he was in the last days. Paul expected that he would be alive when Jesus returned to the world. And you can read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through about 17. Twice in that passage, he uses the phrase, we which are alive and remain. He believed that he was in the last days also. Simon Peter, in 2 Peter 3, verse 12, says that he is looking for that day himself. And that word looking is in present tense. Peter believed he was living in the last days. So you got Peter, John, and Paul all believing they were in the last days. Most of us today believe that we're living in the last days. But if these great men of God were wrong 
in their day, is it possible we are wrong in our day as well? One thing is for sure. No one knows for certain when the Lord will return. Matthew 24, verse 36 says that. Matter of fact, let's turn over to Matthew 24. We're not going to read the entire chapter. But Matthew 24 is the actually the foundation upon which our study in 2 Timothy is based. So we're just going to go down a little bit through Matthew 24 as the Holy Spirit leads. Amen? We'll begin in verse 1. I was going to begin elsewhere. Let's go right to verse 1. Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. In other words, they were bragging and saying, Lord, look at this beautiful building that, you know, because remember uh, Herod was having them redo and expand the Temple Mount area. They go, look at these beautiful stones. This is going to be a beautiful thing. And Jesus said to them, you see all these things? Truly, I'm telling you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he left, he went and sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately. In other words, there wasn't a crowd there. It was just him and his twelve, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? When shall be the sign of your coming? Or what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Notice there were three things. When shall these things be? The destruction of the temple. What shall be the signs of your coming? And what shall be the signs of the end of the world? So they were asking three questions there. And Jesus answered, said to them, Take heed that no man deceives you. There's sign number one, deception. Amen? For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, or I am the Anointed One, or I am the Messiah. And shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, diseases, earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. In other words, you will be arrested and persecuted. And they'll kill you. You'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended. And they'll betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Or in other words, they become hardened hearts. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. And when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, 
Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. Nor let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Pray that your flight is not in the winter, nor on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here's the Messiah, or there, don't believe it. For there shall arise false Christ, false messiahs, false prophets, and show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I'm telling you before it happens. Therefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, he's in the desert, don't go there. Or he's in the secret chambers of the temple, don't believe it. For as lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so also shall, so the, shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there the eagles shall be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. The moon will not give light. Stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know summer is near. So likewise, you, when you see these things, know that it is near, even at the door. For verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. But of that day and that hour, no man knows, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Amen. Glory to God. We got down to verse 36, verse 36 where we're referencing in our notes. Nobody knows when Jesus is going to return. But he does give us clear things to watch for. Now, all these things have happened since these times Jesus lived in. Amen. But they're happening now with more and more frequency. As we're recording this, just yesterday there was a 5.6 magnitude earthquake in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I've been doing some studies in preparation for this. Oklahoma, Kansas, Colorado, Missouri, the Texas Panhandle, those areas now are receiving almost as many earthquakes as California and almost as strong as those received in California. Now, a lot of it, they say, is due to fracking. That's 
pluses and minuses. You know, some people say it's because of fracking. Some say fracking has nothing to do with it. But what does matter is they are happening. Just as Jesus said, these things in different places, diverse places, these things are happening. Hurricanes are now, well, put it like this, at, at the time of this recording, uh, last week or within the past two weeks, Hawaii had back-to-back hurricanes one day apart. It looked like there were two hurricanes on a beeline for the islands of Hawaii. At the same time, another hurricane formed out in the Gulf of Mexico and was the first hurricane to hit Florida in something like 11 years. And it's going up the east coast of the United States as we speak and spinning off tornadoes, spinning off massive rain and flooding. In the, down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, they said it's a historic flood. Hadn't been seen in 2,000 years. Well, one, how do they know what happened 2,000 years ago as far as the flooding? But two, they're still underwater. Katrina, just a few years back, almost virtually wiped New Orleans off the map. All of these things are signs, you know, super cold, massive snowfalls in the winter, droughts out in California right now, flooding in the Middle West and, and down in the South. Folks, all these things point to the last days. You know, we can't even begin to talk about the various diseases that are popping up, of which there's no cures right now. Right now, this year, in 2016, at the time of this recording, is the Zika virus transmitted by mosquitoes. Amen? A few years ago, it was Ebola and other things that are going on. All these strange diseases... There are now super bacteria that are resistant to penicillin. I mean, penicillin, it, it thrives on penicillin almost. Amen? There are diseases going on that if they are unleashed on the population, humanity is in trouble. And they're trying to keep it contained. You know, that's not even talking about all the things, you know, the, the uh, meteorites falling from the sky. Uh, we've seen one in Russia a couple years ago that just wiped out uh, a large, not wiped out, but caused massive destruction in a couple of Siberian towns. Imagine if that would have hit over Los Angeles or New York City. Then we have things lining up According to the Bible, uh, as far as the uh, Ezekiel, the war outlined in Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Gog-Magog war, those partners are now lining up with, I mean, just this week, Iran, Russia, Turkey, Egypt, Libya, Libya is still in turmoil, but the factions running, they're all now making alliance with Russia. 
for the oil and all that. Well, once that alliance has been enacted and initiated and approved and set in place, these are the nations that Ezekiel 38 and 39 says must be in place for the Gog-Magog war. We are seeing prophecy fulfilled before our eyes, and yet many people refuse to believe it. The leaders of the United States refuse to believe it. They continue to advocate doing things against the nation of Israel. State lawmakers are enacting legislation at the state level to stop trading with Israel and not to uh, uh, do business with any businesses that do business with Israel. I mean, these are perilous times. Israel truly is fulfilling biblical scripture that they are going to be alone in the world. Saudi Arabia, arch enemies of Iran, is making a peace pact with Israel. And Wali Shubat described it best. The Muslim attitude or the Muslim uh, way of thinking. If two Muslim nations discuss peace between each other after they've been battling it out, it's not actually to discuss peace per se. The weaker nation will make peace with the stronger nation as a way of pushing back or putting off the ultimate battle while they have a chance to build up their forces. In the Muslim world, the stronger nation will make peace with the weaker nation as a way of establishing their superiority and aligning their assets for the ultimate battle just to wipe them out. So it's not really peace like we want to get along. It's peace like, okay, we'll stop fighting for now, but the day will come where we'll continue this. That's the Muslim attitude. Iran, which in the Bible is referred to as Persia, is now a dominant player in the Middle East because of the vacuum caused in Iraq when the United States withdrew instead of following the advice of the generals and standing firm. And ISIS has now taken over that nation, or attempted to, and now it's being pushed back by Iran. They're being pushed back up into Turkey. Russia has come to help uh, Assad, the president over Turkey, stay in power. So now they're fighting ISIS. So you got Iran and Russia and Turkey fighting ISIS. They're now allies on the same side. Saudi Arabia has always been seen as being too close to the Western nations. Not only that, you got the Shia and the Shiites who battle each other. Iran wants to take over Saudi Arabia and just wipe them out. 
and establish control over that area. So using that theology that we just talked about, that mentality of the weaker and the stronger enemy, Saudi Arabia is no match for Iran. Iran has been given $1.4, $1.5 billion to build up their military by the United States government. They have been, been given the green light to develop the nuclear technology, technically not for another 10 years, but Iran has never told the truth since the Shah of Iran was kicked out. And now Iran is becoming the dominant Muslim player in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia, as the weaker of the two, has a choice. They could go ahead and make peace with Iran, which would be limited on their ability to do any type of military preemptive strikes. So instead, they go with the lesser of what they see of two evils, is they make a pact with Israel, knowing Iran despises Israel. But they, they see Israel as their protection now against Iran in Saudi Arabia. So all these elements, all these pieces are coming together. And all of these pieces are exactly what is described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 as being part of the Gog-Magog war. Amen. Now Jesus as we just read in Matthew 24, gives great detail as to what we can expect if we're alive in the last days. Well, we are. Because we see things now coming to pass exactly as Jesus said they would. Now, a lot of the persecution that the Jews went through and the dispersion and all that, Jesus also alluded to. The last days actually began after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. The last days have been going on for the last 2,000 plus years. But what is a certain fact is that we are at least 2,000 years closer today than the apostles and disciples were back then. I liken it to if you go to visit your friend's house and let's say they have a screen door that's open, you are out in the street, you're looking through that screen door or glass door and you are only able to see, you know, the light is on, we'll say it's night, you are only able to see a small fraction of inside that house. You don't know if they're sitting there watching television, if they're playing with their kids on the floor, whatever they're doing. They could be cleaning and dusting in the living room. You can't tell what's happening because you only have a small glimpse of what's happening through that glass door. But as you get walking up the sidewalk, you're field of view through that glass door is starting to expand. And as you get up onto the porch steps, 
You might be able to see over on the couch and you see someone sitting there watching television. You don't know what they're watching, but you see them there. You see the kids playing on the floor with their toys. And then when you get right up to the door to knock, you get to see the entire room, what's going on. And if the television is in the right spot, you can even see what they're watching and possibly even listening to what they're watching. Folks, that's how it is. The last days, we could liken it to Jesus starting to make his approach from the street. And in the view of the apostles, we're only able to catch a glimpse, a small portion of what's going on through the eyes of the apostles. But as time goes on, every step gets a little bit closer, we can now see things happening in that room and relate them to what Jesus said would be happening just before he enters the door. And folks, enough points are lining up with what the Bible says has to happen. There are enough points lining up. We could actually say Jesus is at the door. And Jesus said when he's at the door, he will knock. And whoever opens to him, he will come in and sup with him and us with him. That he and the Father would make their abode in us. Folks, Jesus is at the door knocking right now. There's no doubt about it. We are that close. The rapture of getting his elect out of here, out of this trouble that is about to take over the earth, that day and that time is so close, it could happen before the end of today's broadcast. I firmly believe that. Now, don't go writing me because you're a mid-trib believer or a post-trib believer. You know, that's fine. I'm not going to quibble over pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. If you want to be here through the tribulation, more power to you. All right? I want to get my ticket punched on the first boatload. Glory to God. Now, if I'm completely off, and we got to stay through the entire tribulation. Well, praise God for the strength to do it. Amen. Because he even says right here, those days shall not be shortened. Because in verse, what is it? Verse 22. Well, we'll read verse 21 from Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 21. Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. That is not talking about the believers. The elect is always referring to Israel. So you could say in that verse, but for Israel's sake, those days shall be shortened. All the armies of the world will amass at what's been called the Battle of Armageddon, the last great battle. All the armies of the world, Scripture says, shall be amassed against Israel who is standing alone. 
They are about to be overrun. When God unleashes holy hell on earth, wiping out all of the armies, Jesus coming down, when his feet hit the ground, the mountain splits in two. And scripture says, with the sword of his mouth, he just speaks a word and all the armies are destroyed. Every enemy of Israel is destroyed. The casualties be so vast, so swift, so massive, so complete, blood runs bridal high, two, three feet high for 200 miles, Scripture says. That's a lot of casualties. But folks, if you feel like you need to go through that, more power to you. I'm believing to get out of here before all this happens. Amen. Now, we're not going to go into pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all that. I just wanted to throw that out there, that we are 2,000 years closer today than what the Bible writers were back then. And while we cannot, with pinpoint accuracy, tell when Jesus will return to this world, we are told what the last days are going to be like. And the verses we just read give us the clearest portrait of it all, as it accurately portrays the spiritual and social climate of the last days. Over in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it tells us what we should look for in the last days, and these are the days it is describing. Amen. Are we living in the last days? Well, let's go over the evidence given in these verses in 2 Timothy, and we'll address that very question. There are three identifying marks mentioned in these verses that will let us know whether or not we are in the last days. So are we living in the last days? Let's find out. Let's go together and look at a biblical description of the last days. First, there's the climate of the last days. Paul describes the last days as perilous times. That word perilous means difficult, troublesome, trying, uneasy, hard, violent, threatening, basically dangerous. And while these characteristics have marked all time periods of history to some extent, they are to be intensified beyond incomprehensible belief in the last days. Now, I think it's safe to say we can describe our own days as perilous. What we are seeing all around us is a society, basically, here in the United States, a society on the brink of collapse. Unemployment, you know, don't believe the government statistics. They, if you have been unable to find work for a year or whatever, they take you off the rolls like, well, you're just not looking. So you don't count. Those that have retired, taken early retirement because they couldn't find a job, well, they don't count either. Only those people who are receiving unemployment 
assistance are counted. So when they say, you know, we're at a 3 or 4 5% unemployment rate, in actuality, this is what experts say, uh, in actuality, it's more like 13 or 14%, the highest unemployment since the 70s, all right? So you have more people out of work, more people on federal assistance than in all previous administrations. The debt has been run up so high that there is absolutely no way to pay it off. None. It will never be paid off. And the interest rate that we are paying basically to China is so high, it's almost two-thirds of the national GDP. There is no way to pay this debt off. And when there is no way to pay any debt off, what's the next step? Bankruptcy. Basically, defaulting on your loans. Basically, your economy collapses. That's been warned now by many experts in the field that the economy of the United States is about to collapse on itself. When that happens, there are certain things that you can look for. One of them is other nations sensing the collapse will start looking for other stable economies to invest in. China is now touting itself as a, an economic alternative to the United States. Many nations have already struck deals to buy and trade oil in the Chinese yuan rather than the American dollar as, been, as it's been going on for the past 50, 60 years. Many nations are telling the United States, we're sending back all of your currency. We want gold in return. In other words, they don't trust the dollar anymore. And when all of these notes, if you read a dollar bill, it says right now, this note is legal tender. Backed by the full faith and confidence of the government of the United States of America. When we need, you know, you hear Congress saying, well, we need to increase the borrowing limit of the United States, like increasing our credit card debt. When that happens, it's just money printed out of thin air. Congress says, okay, print up another billion dollars so we can keep funding our social welfare programs. Down at the government printing office, they start printing up a, a billion dollars of paper money. And then they give it to China or whoever wants to buy it, often at a discount. They will also give it in the form of loans to American businesses and then sell those loans to the Chinese. Now, as these nations begin to get weary of the United States constantly running up higher and higher and higher debt, and they start to worry about whether they're ever going to see any of their principal, 
They take these notes that the American businesses and the American government has given to their nation and they start sending it back, saying we want gold instead. And as all of this money starts coming back into the United States and, and, and into circulation, that increases the basically the amount of currency in this nation in the business climate, in circulation. And let's, let's relate it like this. If I have an apple for sale, one apple, and you're hungry, I say, well, it's one dollar. You give me your dollar, I give you the apple. An exchange has taken place. If two people or three people are hungry and I have one apple, and you say, I'll give you a dollar. And the other guy says, I'll give you two. And the third one says, I'll give you three. What is the value of that apple? It's now $3. That's inflation. All right? If I have 100 apples and you're hungry, and I say, give me a dollar, I'll give you an apple. He say, no, I don't, I don't think it's worth a dollar. I'll give you 50 cents. Now I say, okay, what's the value of the apple? 50 cents. Two other people come up and say, I want an apple also. Okay, it's a dollar. Well, you just sold it to him for 50 cents. The value of the apple is 50 cents because I have a lot of it left. Now let's reverse that. Let's say instead of having $1, you have $10. And I say, this is my apple. It's worth $1. You give me $1, I give you the apple. What's the value of the apple? $1. If I have one apple, and you have $10, and somebody else has $20, and somebody else has $30, and I say, the value of the apple is $1. You say, I'm hungry. I'll give you a dollar for the apple. Somebody else says, well, I've got all this money. I'll tell you what. I'll give you $3 for the apple. And the next person, I'll give you $5 for the apple. Are you taking really a lot of their money? No. The value of the apple is still $1, but now you're paying $5 for it. But that's okay because you got all this extra money in your pocket. That's hyperinflation. The price goes up. The amount of cash that you have is going up. Well, that sounds okay, Brother Bob. I mean, I'll have extra money in my pocket. Okay. What is the value of the apple? It's $1. But it costs you $5. But that's okay because you have that extra money in your pocket. So... Inf How can I say this? Inflation is when the value of the goods is, is established by the uh, value of a dollar. A dollar for an apple. Hyperinflation takes place when instead of earning $50,000 a year, you need to make $100,000 a year where last year you only needed 50000 but this year you need 100000 
just to survive like he did last year on 50,000. Because there's so much currency in the world, the value of the currency has gone down. Also increasing the price of the goods. In Germany, during World War II, when the Deutsche Mark was devalued, they literally burned currency in the street. Because it cost them like 15,000 marks for a loaf of bread. But if that time was to happen in the United States, and the loaf of bread today is $2, then it might be $200. But that's okay. We got all this extra money. Here, take this. Take, 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 take. So you're scraping together $200, $250, $300 to go buy a loaf of bread? See, those are the times Jesus is talking about. Amen? These are the times where it's almost you are almost unable to provide for your family. Unemployment will be so high because the wages required to live will be so high, no businesses will be able to stay in business. That's one of the troubles of increasing the minimum wage. Businesses that typically make 3, 4, 5% profit suddenly see their wages double, going from $7.50 an hour to $15 an hour. And they have to account for that income somewhere. The only way they can do it, really, is either cutting back their expenses, which means laying people off, which means the people remain have to work harder or work longer, or raising their prices. And if they raise their prices and another company cuts back employees and keeps their prices the same, everybody will go to this new company. And this other company goes out of business. So you see the dangers in this? And this is what we're facing right now just in the United States. Other nations are already facing these economic catastrophes. Now, I think it's safe to say that we are describing our own perilous times. That's why I said that we are, as a society, on the brink of collapse. And this is proven basically by the 18 characteristics of the last days that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. You see, we're living in an age that is dangerous to be living for God. Those who practice righteousness are called intolerant, bigoted, narrow-minded, antisocial, and labeled dangerous to society. The government has even issued three statements to that effect. The use of drone assassinations on American soil against so-called terrorists is now generating concern in Washington, D.C. Then the Attorney General issues a statement that the ability to arrest and place into indefinite detention any person on American soil who is determined to be a terrorist threat is okay. Then the Department of Homeland Security issues a statement that basically anyone who expresses discontent 
to government policies is labeled as a terrorist. That includes journalists. It'd be conservative journalists, of course. Christians who oppose administration policies, libertarians, basically conservatives in general, can be labeled as terrorists. In some of the FBI uh, training manuals, Christians and conservatives have already been classified as terrorists. Anyone who takes a biblical stand against the perversity that we are witnessing is labeled as a terrorist and could face potential assassination without even ever being arrested, charged, or convicted of anything. Just a missile from the sky taking them out. While those who practice deviant, sinful lifestyles, those are praised and labeled as heroes by society today and supported by the government. Those who are opposed to these immoral lifestyles are the ones labeled as dangerous. Folks, we are living in very dangerous times indeed. Amen? We may wonder why such days as these might factor into God's plan for the world. Well, the Bible says these are determined days. While God is not the author of evil, he has determined to abandon sinful man to his choice of a life of wickedness. This includes nations that support these choices, including America. This is an effort to expose man's sinfulness and basically his wretched condition. The condition of humanity and society in the last days is absolute proof that man, left to himself, will ruin everything he touches. The Midas effect in reverse. And regardless of how we may want society to improve, we will continue to see it slide into decay. We may be able to stem the tide and stop the advance of sin in isolated pockets here and there. But for the most part, conditions around us are going to continue to deteriorate until Jesus returns to this world to rule in righteousness and power. You see, natural man, instead of getting better spiritually, is actually growing more and more wicked. Ephesians 4.22, uh, Daniel 12.10 tells us that the wicked shall do what? Wickedly. The wicked shall do wickedly. As we shall see in a few minutes, the spread of evil is not just in the world. It's also true in religious circles. Amen? Again, the characteristics of the last days are their deeds. Paul describes the kind of people who will be alive during the last days. He tells us how they will think. He tells us how they will live. You only need to read these verses and cross-reference them with your local newspaper or the evening news and life all around us to see we are surrounded by those who are fulfilling these characteristics to a T. Just take a few minutes. Let's go through this list of attitudes and actions that will mark those living in the last days. 
Then you tell me if we're in the last days or not. First, Paul says, lovers of self. Selfish. Those intent on your own interests. Philippians 2.3 says, Nothing is more important to some people than themselves. These people feel as if the world revolves around them and them alone. They are literally setting themselves up as their own little God. When love for self is elevated, love for God and all other things is lowered. For example, the trend in the modern church towards self-esteem, self-worth, a positive self-image, all concepts borrowed from modern secular psychology. It's New Age preaching creeping into so-called evangelical churches. Now, every one of these characteristics Paul names is a result of being a lover of self. And when a person is number one in their own eyes to themselves, well, then he himself is the be-all and end-all of all his existence. Then we should not be surprised at the depths of evil of which he's capable Keep in mind, as we study these terms, though, the people who do these things basically are merely in love with themselves. And actually, that is what hell is. You know, we have this concept of the hell fire and burning. But you see, the people who are there, how can I say this, Lord? On the cross... When God's presence left Jesus, because from the beginning of time, Jesus and the Father were always one together. And the Holy Spirit, all three were always together. That's why Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you leave me? He was separated from God for the first time. Now, he became sin. He took our curses. He died a sinner's death so we don't have to. He descended into hell. The total, absolute, non-existence presence of God. God is nowhere to be found in hell. People who are in love with themselves so self-righteous, so focused on their own self and their own pleasures, don't give a care about anything else but themselves, setting themselves up as their own gods. That is what hell is all about. The the story Jesus told about the, the rich man and Lazarus Notice the rich man isn't even named. He doesn't even have a name anymore. Your name is who you are. This rich man did not even have a name. Even that was taken from him. He is described as a rich man because that is who he seen himself as. That's who he lifted himself up to be a rich man. And you see what his riches got him. But even in hell, he did not say, have mercy on me, 
forgive me for my sins. I repent of my riches. No, he still tried to exert influence, commanding Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool his tongue. He still seen himself as privileged. He didn't he said he was in torment. Yes. But he still held himself out to be his own god. I don't have time to go into that today. We are almost out of time. And if I want to get through this study, we got to go. But what I want you to see is all these characteristics as a result of being a lover of yourself. Amen? Now, next is covetous. Covetous is lovers of money. And we could go through several scriptures. I'll just tell you what they are because we don't have time to go through them. Hebrews, 3, or Hebrews 13, verse 5, 1 Timothy 6, 10, 1 John 2, 15. God's plan is that we worship Him, God. Love other people. Use things that He gives to us to help spread the gospel. When our priorities become all skewed and mixed up, we start to worship ourselves. We ignore God. We love and accumulate things. And we use other people. This is the formula for defeat in life. And that is exactly what we just described with the rich man and Lazarus. And then you have boasters, empty pretenders, windbags, bragging about what they have and what they've done setting themselves up as the be-all and end-all of all other people's lives. You should be like me. I can prove to you that I am better than you are because I have more. And I do more. And I do it because I have more. And as I have more, I get more. And I get more, I can do more. Oh, I'm so great. Boasters. And that goes hand in hand with pride, being proud, being an overestimator of one's own worth. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Nothing but sinners saved by grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. You do well to remember the counsel, though, of Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, don't think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. In other words, as John chapter 15 verse 5 says, we are nothing without him. Pride is what got the devil in trouble to begin with. I'll lift up my throne above that of the Most High God. You can't do that. Next is blasphemers. And notice how almost each one of these things builds upon the prior one. I, I just noticed that. You know, we, we talked about lovers of self, then lovers of money, 
then boasters, then pride, an overestimate of one's worth. After that, when you've lifted yourself up and you've accumulated all these things and you're so proud of your own work, you start talking down to others, including God, blasphemers, given to defiant and bitter words. These are the ones who speak evil of God, his children, his followers, and his work. Have you ever considered the rise in cursing in our day? When I grew up, if someone cussed in front of a lady, they would immediately turn around and apologize, even if she wasn't involved in the conversation. Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, I shouldn't talk like that. Same thing if they cursed in front of the preacher. I'm sorry, Reverend, I didn't mean to say that in front of you. But today, I hear some of the foulest language coming out of the mouths of women in public. Why is this? Because men and women have all lost their respect for God. They've lost respect for themselves. They've lost respect for their fellow human being. They think nothing of using their tongues to speak evil against everyone and everything. They bring damnation upon themselves, cursed by their own mouths. And when you get to that point, it's very easy to become disobedient to your parents. That's the next item. The rejection of Christian values, the rejection of morality, reaches into the home. It is a reflection of and an end result of lack of Christian upbringing in the home. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says, basically summed up, discipline has gone out the window. If children will not respect and obey their parents, who will they respect? If there's no obedience, no respect, no loyalty in the home, why should we expect to find it in society? Our schools have been turned into little gang-infested ghettos themselves. And this is a true reflection of the values, or I should say lack of values, that's in the home. And when you reach that point, there's no sense of being thankful for anything. So you become unthankful in all things. There's no sense of gratitude for anything they gain or possess. You could give someone in this condition a brand new car. And like, okay, thanks. And then what are they going to do? They're going to go show it off their friends. Man, my mama and daddy gave me this new car. How about that? It's my car now. But there's no real true appreciation for anything. No sense of gratitude. You know, whether you receive something from man or God, there's still no gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says that our society today in America is marked by this kind of unthankfulness. People complain about everything and everyone. You know, when I was a cop, the cops would complain about having to work. And I'd have to remind them, there are many people who would love to have your job. But they're unthankful about that. 
They don't see that as a blessing that they have been hired to do a job to protect the public. Oh, that's a very generalized statement. I shouldn't do that. There are a few who are like that. Every single day, all they do is complain. You probably know people like that in your work or you have worked with them. They complain about everything. It's too hot. It's too cold. The windows are too dirty. They never pick up the trash at time. Somebody drank the last pot of co- or a cup of coffee and didn't make more. The, the copiers, you know, uh, the toner is too light. Uh, you know, nobody reloads the paper tray but me. You know, complain, 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 complain. That's all they do is complain. Yet, God's word teaches us, Colossians 3.15, that we should be thankful in all things. And when people degrade down to this point, they become unholy, according to 2 Timothy 3. Remember, we're reading verses 1 through 5 here. Next, they're unholy. That means wicked. Another sense of being profane. This is the state of heart when men, and I'm using that term as humans, lose all regard for decency and shame. People are governed by their passions. They're blinded to modesty, decency, purity, and righteousness. Think of the common use of sexuality today on TV to sell products. Amen? Think about all the quote-unquote, wardrobe malfunctions you see in public. And it turns out to have been planned. Think of the flaunting of wickedness and evil that's so rampant today in society. Think about these gay pride parades where they wear thongs and leave very little to the imagination. Scripture says wickedness and evil will be so rampant in our society. Men will increase in wickedness as the end time approaches. And this trend is becoming more and more evident. The bottom line is men will hold nothing as being sacred anymore. Are we there yet? I think so. Without natural affection describes a breakdown of the family unit. There's a loss of love for those we should hold to the dearest. Abandonment, abuse, abortion, infidelity, all of these are symptoms of modern society proving we've lost our way. All natural love will be lost in the desire to fulfill the basest and most perverted of human excesses. And you see that. Gay marriage is being trumpeted as the great victory. And at the same time, they will sue and drive out of business anyone who holds to their Christian values. We're living in those days. Truce breakers. This refers to those who will not keep their promises. Not just truces between different nations. Agreements between one another. A man's word and a handshake is no longer his bond. It also speaks to people who will never try to agree. It's a picture of those who are unyielding and must at all costs have their own way. I'm right, you're wrong, you can never change my mind type of attitude. Not only does this sound like our government, 
It's also very prevalent in church today as well. There are false accusers, slanderers. These people do everything in their power to destroy the good name and reputation of another. By the way, this word is the same word from which we get the word devil from. In other words, the devil is a slanderer, and those who engage in destroying the good name of another person are guilty of engaging in the devil's work. For whom do they work when they do this? Are they using words to build up or words to tear down another person? That tells you who they're serving. Incontinent, that means without self-control or the ability to discipline your own life. If it feels good, do it. Why should I deny myself these little pleasures of life? Promiscuity, abortion, high divorce rates, need I say more? Many lost people careen through life like a driverless car bouncing off walls as they go. Such is the motto and mission of modern society. <clears throat> but the word of God has a different take on it. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. I'll use the example of gay marriages again. Just because the government says it's legal does not make it right. Amen. Fierce is the next one. It means untamed, savage, or brutal. People be controlled by their baser instincts. We are seeing a trend in this direction in our society. Men are literally living like wild animals. Inner cities are like war zones, especially at night. Chicago is a prime example. They're on track for something like eight or 900 murders this year. Every weekend, it's like 30, 40, 50 shootings in a weekend. It's a war zone, but yet it's not even being addressed by the government. Because they are promoting the lifestyle that encourages that. Next is despisers of those that are good. In a world where good is evil and evil is good, those who stand for right are a slap in the face of the evildoer. Therefore, those who take a biblical stand are apt to be persecuted and hated. Why do you think the worldly crowd wants the Ten Commandments taken down from every public place? Why do you think they don't want prayer at school functions? Why do you think that the world is so against the word of God being preached in a public forum? Why is this government so anti-Christian? Whom are they serving? I think you know the answer. Traitors, not just national traitors, People who betray others. People who break friendship, uh, friendship and bonds just to get their way. These people will lie, cheat, steal. They'll crush anyone who dares to get in their way. Basically, people who possess no morals, no loyalty, except to themselves. Just think about the current presidential election climate, if you know what I mean. Heady. Reckless, rash, acting without reasonable thought. This is a lifestyle that does as it pleases without regard for any consequences. It speaks of those involved in activities of a foolish nature. There are just too many examples I could give for this one, but you get the idea. we got to move on. Next is 
being high-minded, those who are puffed up with a false sense of their own self-importance, people who think they're better than what they really are. These people feel they have no need for God or others. They're all they need. The Well, I'm not going to get off on, on that aspect. we got to wrap it up. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Those who love pleasures of the world more than God. Ours is a pleasure-based, mad society. One study says America spent almost $7 billion on movies, $13.7 billion on music, $6 billion on video games, bought $1 billion in books, and church attendance was only about 50% of the families in America, if that. Folks, that's a description of the world in which we live. Amen? There's only one answer, and his name is Jesus. There's only one person you can put complete trust in, not only to take care of your every need, not only to take care of paying the debt of sin debt that you owe, because of the way you've lived, what you've done, there's only one person who says, bring it to me, I'll take care of it. It'd be like if you owe an electric bill that is 10 months to a year behind, and someone says, bring the, bring the bill to me, I'll take care of it. And you give them the bill, you trust them that they're going to take care of that huge bill that you have absolutely no way of paying. You trust them to do it because they said they did. Amen? Not only would they, but did they. Amen. Jesus said, come unto me. All you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden's light. If you have not come to that place where you can have absolute trust in Jesus, I ask you to do so now. Just say this prayer with me. Father, I thank you for John 3.16, that you loved me so much, you gave Jesus to pay the sin debt I could never pay. Jesus, I thank you that you did pay that debt once and for all time. And Lord, I now put my trust in you. Come into my heart, creating me that new man, one that is righteous in the eyes of God with your righteousness. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. That's all the time we have for today. Email me if you prayed that prayer, Brother Bob at ftfm.org, because we want to rejoice with you. Amen. Till next time, it's Pastor Bob reminding you be blessed in all that you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. 
That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's FTFM.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.